Welcome to Podcasting Smarter, the podcast for and by podcasters. We interview podcasters for the real scoop on podcasting. Whether you're thinking about starting a podcast or have been podcasting for years, you'll find lots of inspiration, valuable lessons, and tips in our interviews. This podcast is brought to you by Podbean. Please visit podbean.com, the home for podcasters. We're sitting here at Podcast Smarter with Josh from Our Americana and from True Crime Bullshit. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing good. Again, thanks for making the time to sit down with us, talk a little bit about your podcast and a few different things here. Um, you know, I want to thank you again for making the time. I want to thank you for, number one, doing such a great work with your network here. It looks like you've got about four different podcasts under it. Uh, before we begin and really get into a lot of the meat, we'd love to tell our listeners a little bit about what you've done, what your podcasts are about, uh, how you got to where you are. Please, the floor is yours. Yeah, so I have four podcasts and uh, I'm redesigning my website currently and it really struck me in the design of the website what the through line is after three years of doing this, <laughs> which is American geography. So um, the first show is Our Americana, which focuses on community and small town America. Each episode centers on a different small town where a unique event or circumstance has impacted or cultivated community there. Uh, the second show is True Crime Bullshit, which is a serialized true crime story, um, which looks at serial killer Israel Keys, but also kind of deconstructs the genre of true crime and how it affects listeners and people within the true crime community. Uh, and then the Karen and Ellen Letters is a collection of found letters from the 80s between a landlord and his two very dim and demanding tenants. So that podcast um, has actors reading these three years worth of correspondence and is narrated by me kind of going out into the world trying to authenticate these letters because they get just incredibly egregious and really wild and unbelievable at certain points. And the fourth is Playlist, which is a music podcast um, where I bring in a different panel of podcasters and comedians or good friends each week. We pick a theme and we each uh, present two songs to fall within that theme and talk about what they mean to us and generally give each other crap. You know, every now and again, someone shows up with like a Justin Bieber song and we have to roast them. Uh, so those are the four shows. <laughs> awesome. A question for you then, and I'm sure it'll be a little bit of a hard question. Do you have a favorite podcast on your network more than yeah. others, or are they all kind of your children? Um. You know, they are all my children, but I do have favorites, which I think is probably the truth of parents as well. Um, yeah, so <laughs> our Americana just means the world to me because I think it um, is touching on really important issues in a non-political way. Um, and I think it forces people to really challenge the way they see the world. And True Crime Bullshit is my other favorite just because, uh, again, it's a really challenging show. Uh, I think it kind of forces us to look at the way that we consume true crime, the way we relate to it, the way we bring it out into the world with us. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. There's so much research. Israel Keys was a very meticulous, enigmatic serial killer. Um, and there's just layers upon layers in uncovering his crimes and sharing his story. So I think those two really I get the most out of. And true crime bullshit seems to be doing very well. Um, I believe I see 20, about 21 episodes here and you guys are about a, a million downloads on it now. 
Yeah, so there's 19 actual episodes. I did a promo and then a Q&A. And yeah, I think I'm at 1.1 million now in, in six months, which is wild. Um, it really has uh, gone way beyond my expectations. And every day where I find new listeners is just a total gift. So it's been really humbling and um, exciting. You know, I know that there's so much in-depth stuff with the with true crime bullshit can you tell us like what the research was like for that one like what like what was your process process? (laughs) it's been over three years of research i uh i started podcasting with our americana in early 2016 and as soon as i was like oh this is a medium that i really enjoy as a writer um and as a storyteller I immediately started thinking of other shows I would like to do. And, and True Crime Bullshit was the second that came to mind just because I was so fascinated with Israel Keys and the story of him. And and I think it's a unique story because it's kind of true crime in reverse. I think we're used to um, like a victim and a crime and then looking for a killer. And here it's we have a killer, um, but we don't know who his victims were. And he had this uh, crazy deal with the FBI where they were not going to release his name to the press and as long as he was cooperating with them. So um, it kind of already as a story spun the true crime genre on its head a bit. Uh, so I immediately started just devouring everything I could about Israel Keys, which because of this deal, there wasn't a lot. Then I filed a FOIA and that took a really long time and cost a small fortune. (laughs) Um, And when those records came from the FBI, it was over 2000 pages. Um, So I was going through that. And then anytime I thought that there might have been a victim of his, um, I would FOIA that missing person case. And so I'd have to wait for those files and they'd come and they'd be anywhere between like 30 and 300 pages. So it was going through all this, creating a timeline, and then just looking into missing people who disappeared wherever he happened to be, because he would travel across the country and um, he was really good at like not leaving a footprint. So he would pay in cash or he would like fly to Chicago and then rent a car and drive a thousand miles. So he was really hard to track and you'd kind of have to like do cell phone pings and I had to get an expert to help me understand that because that was a whole different world and I had to get experts to help me understand like tide charts. So there was a ton of research, a lot of expert interviews um, and research. And uh, it's still to this day, you know, we're, or I'm in between seasons one and two now and just the research is never ending. I'm filing FOIAs every single day and yeah, it's a, it's an animal. (laughs) It's amazing how much research you put into it, too. Like you said, this is a project that over three years took so much research and even diving back into his like backlog, his back history into files that from the way you make it sound may have been at one point like classified to a degree. And um, it's real interesting to see that there's still so much in that in like the crime world that's still so under wraps, especially about someone that has such a profile like this. Yeah, and I don't think that he or the circumstances around his arrest and interrogation are unique. Um, I think, you know, for everything we think we know, there's, you know, probably a thousand things we don't know in terms of crimes and killers. And uh, just this has been really eye-opening for me, uh, just seeing how the FBI handled this. And, you know, some people feel like they didn't handle it well. I think they did the best they could. um, And I think the deal they struck worked um, up until a a certain point. And so I imagine that they've used it as kind of a template when working with other serial killers who they've apprehended. 
Sure. And now you're, we're talking about how much of foot traffic this uh, true crime bullshit has gotten recently. Um, what has been some of the uh, ideas that you and your team have done to promote the podcast? I know a big thing for a lot of people on our channel, outside of our channel, in and out of Podbean is how do I get my message and my podcast into the hands of people that want to listen to it? Uh, was there a lot of strategy behind let's get true crime bullshit and our Americana's network out to the masses or what was your, uh, what was some of your strategy behind that? <laughs> well, my team is just me. So a lot of the strategy <laughs> was um, panic and desperation. <laughs> That's a mood. Yeah. Uh, and you know, what's funny is uh, my career prior to podcasting was branding, marketing and PR. Uh, and yet when I came upon my own projects, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> so <laughs> I think with, with this, I was able to leverage pre-existing relationships. This is my fourth show. So when I launched this, I had been podcasting three years already. And so I developed a lot of relationships, particularly within true crime, just because that's, you know, the, the saturated market right now. Uh, so I leveraged that. I started really amplifying press, which I hadn't done previously just because I didn't have the bandwidth for it. But with this, I just... Like our Americana was a whim. It was something I was doing um, just to kind of like satisfy myself. And then it took off and I was like, oh, this is great. Uh, with True Crime Bullshit, I had put so much work and money into it that I just could not let it fail. So I had to be as proactive as possible. So I was sending out press releases on like a weekly basis. I was begging friends to air promos on their true crime shows. I uh, did Facebook ads, which I will say, and I've, I've heard this mirrored, from most of my independent podcast friends are, are not a great um, value. Um, so it was just a lot of grassroots, just begging people to listen to my show, to promote my show, to pay attention to my show, um, and just making sure I was getting my name out everywhere I could. So Facebook, Twitter, magazines, print, blogs, um, going to conventions, like before I even launched, which was a gift that I had been working on this for so long, is I knew it was coming. So I was going to conventions three, six months before it even launched, like getting the name out there. So people were aware and people were excited and people could get onto Facebook. And as soon as that first episode was out, I already had an active audience, which is probably the smartest thing I did in terms of promoting this. I think one of the things that you touched on also was how grassroots it was. And even though you're using, you know, big corporate names like Facebook, Instagram, like those kinds of social medias, you have a big marketing background. This was you who really put the boots to the ground and made a lot of effort to get this podcast into the hands of people that wanted to listen to it. I think a lot of the times that goes understated how even though you do have a podcast and you have people listening to it and you have, you know, it's up on a website or it's up on Podbean or it's up on Apple Podcasts. How do you get it out there? I think with this and what you just said, you highlighted basically the process for how anybody can really spread the message of what they want, regardless of the topic. Yeah, and I will say, and I think it's something that's often overlooked, is podcasting is a community industry. And um, this is something I learned in PR that I'm so grateful for, is like everyone whose path you cross in three years um, – may have an impact on your path and your journey. And I look back to three years ago when I started this and, you know, some of my dear friends now who have huge shows like Wine and Crime and um, Impact Statement and um, 
oh gosh, now I can't think of any of them, but, you know, who were really, really small three years ago, who I became friends with, not because it was advantageous, but just because this was a community and we were all kind of helping each other grow and learn and understand this, this wild, wild west industry. Um, and I've nurtured those relationships, not strategically, but just because they formed organically and I love them. And now they're huge podcasts and they were able to really help me. So I think exploiting and also really entrenching yourself in the community that is podcasting is the best strategic advice I could give to anyone who's starting a new show. That's awesome. Now I got a question too, as a bit of an audiophile myself, I'm always interested to hear how uh, different podcasters recording process looks like from some of the gear that you use to kind of shaping the, uh, let's say making the shape of your podcast. You know, do you have a certain process that you use? Do you kind of follow like formula in terms of, okay, I'll do an intro here, then I'll talk about this. Is What is your kind of setup from both a uh, technical and format perspective? Well, I'll start with technical because it's where I'm probably the, the most moronic. Uh, I came into this having no tech experience whatsoever. Uh, so I kind of just made it up as I went along and I'd buy a mic and then it would be awful. So I'd buy a new mic as soon as I could afford to. Um, so it's been growing. I started out literally recording under my dining room table with blankets around it. It was like a blanket fort. Uh, and then I got a little more money, so I was able to upgrade to a, a bigger blanket fort in my bedroom. Um, and now I'm in my closet with foam, and I have, you know, a um, blue Yeti microphone and a sound cage, and it's still very, very um, simple. <laughs> and I'm hoping as the show starts to make more money, we can invest in like a proper sound booth or something. But uh, it's very simple, and I think that's the other advice I would give is I see a lot of people starting shows who are on Facebook, like, what equipment should I get? How much should I spend? And, you know, they're talking about spending thousands of dollars. And, you know, I have a, I, I would like to think fairly successful show that equipment-wise, I've only invested probably like $200 over the course of three years. So you don't need the top-notch equipment. Uh, you just need something that's going to sound good and really just you should be worrying about your storytelling and what your brand is and what your vision is um, because that's what people are going to latch on to. It's not, you know, crystal clear quality or sound effects or um, anything like that. And then in terms of format, I debated a lot with this and I think that it created a lot of procrastination because again, like I invested so much time into this show that I wanted it to be perfect. Um, so what really for me, it became about doing something immediately that was going to pull the listener in and give them an idea of what the episode was going to represent or be or what their journey for that hour was going to be. So I open each episode with a soundbite from interrogations with keys um, that are uh, relevant to the material we'll be covering. And then I go into just a very brief intro song, um, which is overlaid with you know a very brief uh, intro for me about the show. And then uh, for me, it was about a narration that was not just about the crime and about Israel Keys, but about a holistic look, how it affected me. Um, I think true crime is such a fascinating genre and we're only really at the tip of it. Um, I hear a lot of shows where it's just, it becomes very formulaic and it's like crime, victim, investigation, criminal. Um, and they're not really talking about the reverberations of these crimes. So that was a huge part to me. It's like, 
what happened to Key's family when he was arrested? What happened to his family when he finally admitted to all these crimes? Um, what What is in the case files that have nothing to do with this case? Like there's this interconnectivity amongst true crime that I don't think a lot of people think about. You know, I have these 2000 files from the FBI and, and they mention every major case you could possibly think of. Most of them are not related, but there is this interconnectivity, whether it's citing investigations that happened in other cases or tip lines where they think, oh, perhaps, you know, Maura Murray was involved because she just vanished and most of Key's victims just vanished or like lots of suicides where parents just can't accept that their children committed suicide. So they would rather hope that they were abducted by some crazy serial killer. So there's this fascinating interconnectivity and I wanted to present that as well as the the story of Israel Keys himself. And so in doing that, it's my narration, it's clips from his interviews. I interviewed uh, one of the FBI agents who worked on the case. I interviewed a uh, criminal psychologist just to get expertise and expert opinions. Uh, and so I weave all those together. In the early episodes, I interviewed true crime fans and true crime podcasters because I was really fascinated on how true crime impacts their lives and what their journeys were. Uh, and people did not respond well to that. So after I think episode three, we stopped doing that. Uh, but I really just wanted to give a holistic view and that meant nuanced versions of everything. So here's me telling the story. Here's Keys telling his story. Here's the investigator telling his story. Here's how it affected all of us. Um, and I just never relying too much on one of those vehicles. So like if I'm doing five minutes of clips with Keys, then I have to do 10 minutes of narration for me and I have to do five minutes of interview with an expert. So just making sure that I was never getting too stuck on one um, trope or one vehicle. It sounds like, you know, if you're watching a, a true crime show at the end of the season, the, they know who the bad guy is, they know what happened, but you're always thinking about, oh, well, what happened to this cop? What happened to this person? And you're always trying to make those extra connections to kind of expand the story, yeah. Yeah, well, empathy was really important to me in all of this um, and humanizing people. Because uh, I think we, we have this really severe dissonance where we talk about serial killers as having mental illnesses, um, but then we don't have the empathy for them for having those mental illnesses, which is obviously a very challenging and hard pill to swallow. Um, but I think if we're being honest with ourselves, we need to give them that space. And like, that doesn't mean what they did is okay or forgivable, but it also means like they didn't necessarily have control over their actions. Um, and I am by no means a criminal psychologist, but I've talked to a few and they've kind of mirrored those thoughts. And I wanted to put that out there and also to humanize him because while to us, he's a monster, he had a kid and girlfriends and family members and great deep friendships. Um, and by making him a monster we're not humanizing those people and the experiences they had with him uh, and I think that's so critical um, in creating empathy for other criminals families and you know we see a lot of stuff like oh his wife should have known she's just as bad as he is and it's like no like you know your husband could be killing people and you'd never know because you love him and we all kind of expect the best from the people in our lives so that was really important to me. And, and what happened to his family after his arrest is just one of the most heartbreaking stories I've ever heard. And I, that to me became kind of the through line for this whole story, which is like, this is not just about the killer and his victims. Like it is equally as important, um, but it's more than just that beat of like crime, victim, criminal. Right. And 
I love the amount of detail that you've gone into this. I do want to change gears a little bit towards a, um, a little bit of a service that Podbean started to offer within the last year or so called PodEds. Basically the ability for you to, or one of the things that we do to help you monetize your podcast, uh, not just you, but any uh, podcaster who has the ability to use PodEds on their various podcasts. Um, have you gotten the opportunity to use PodEds? Uh, and if you have, uh, tell us a little bit about how that's worked out for you, how you've been able to utilize that across true crime bullshit and the various podcasts in your network. I have, and I love them. Um, I think for me, the biggest impact, well, there's two, but because I'm one person and I can only do so much, um, especially producing four shows, is a, a lot of what I have to rely on is kind of a set it and forget it. Um, like, do as much as I can up front so that you know, whatever is happening will pay off on its own. And I think pod ads has been phenomenal for that because I can, uh, I get offers to do um, ad insertion to old episodes. Um, and so I just kind of am like doing my own thing and I'll get a notification saying, you know, someone wants to place an ad for episodes 13 through 17. And it's like, awesome. And all I have to do is click a button and um, there's a new monetization tool that I have done very little work uh, to implement. Um, and then the money just shows up and it's a dream because it's, you know, podcasting, even where I'm at is not a super uh, <laughs> well-paying job. And we kind of need to do everything we can to make money. So it's like Patreon and uh, merch uh, and ads. And so when the ads just kind of like, happen on their own and pay for themselves. It's such a gift and pod ads is unique in that. I have not come across that anywhere else where I just get a notification and then don't have to do any work. Um, second to that, I also use another ad placement company and I can integrate those ads through pod ads through their dynamic insertion. So again, it's like another place for me to monetize my show, but I can run it through pod ads. So it's less work for me. Um, and it's still kind of that set it and forget it. Cause I can, limit how long they run and they just disappear on their own and I don't have to do any work like editing out ads from you know an episode or going back to the episode and removing the ad um, through the platform like just everything is automated and it's such a gift when you have so little time and you're trying your best to like make as much money in as many ways as possible. <laughs> I like that and again the highlight that you brought up too is a matter of it's a time saver you know you're talking about the litany of things that you have to do in and outside of the podcast, you know, in terms of getting all this research and I'm sure things outside of just the podcasting world also. And just to be able to be able to take an audio file and take these sponsorships that you've brought to the podcast platform, let's say, and just have them insert into things that you might not have even touched for months. I, I think that's a value that can't be understated. Uh, who are some of the sponsors that you have currently through pod ads or through for your uh, podcast, let's say? Uh, so my biggest one, so through pod ads, it's been a lot of one-offs, which again is a gift. And like, I, this is going to sound bad, but it actually is, I think, really indicative of how seamless the system is. I can't even remember who those one-offs are because the work on my end has been so minimal. <laughs> like they just <laughs> pop up in the show and then disappear. And I'm like, awesome. That was $50 I just made and I don't even know from who. Um, so it's irresponsible, but it's a great, a great gift of irresponsibility. Um, and then some of my bigger uh, sponsors are Care Of and Green Chef, uh, who have gotten through the other 
uh, placement service, but I run all those through pod ads as well. So again, it's that like you can leverage money as many ways as possible and pod ads does not discriminate um, that you're out there like hustling through other places as well, which I love because a lot of other services are like, no, we're only running ads that we have placed with you. And uh, so I appreciate that pod ads gets that this is a, uh, a hustle game and they uh, work with you to help you hustle. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, do you find that you're doing a lot more of uh, inserting pre-recorded company ads or are you doing more host read ads in your podcast? I'm doing a lot more host read and I think that's just um, because of where I'm at with my numbers. You know, my other shows are a lot smaller and so those it's, um, it's more in pre-recorded insertion. Um, but I think because I've, I've reached that 30,000, that magical 30,000 downloads per episode threshold with true crime bullshit, um, I'm in the, the golden zone of pre-record or of host ads. And I think, I think a lot of podcasting uh, advertisers like the host read a little bit more because, you know, yeah, can they go and make a, an advertisement? Absolutely. But the thing is, it feels more genuine when you have the person who's actually part of the show giving their opinion on it and being able to really explain it in their own words. Yeah, well, and this, what we do, and people take it for granted, is so intimate. Uh, you know, we're in people's ears an hour a day, hour a week, sometimes many hours in a week while they're alone, while they're working, while they're doing chores, while they're in their commutes. Um, and so it does create a level of intimacy that I think advertisers really should be exploiting. Um, and I'm surprised at this point that the market hasn't oversaturated. It seems like there's probably 20 companies that are really relying on that that brand loyalty and intimacy by doing the host red ads. And then as a producer, they're a lot better because um, you know you don't really know what you're getting with some of these pre-recorded ads and it can really break up the tone of the show. Uh, so I get a little anxious sometimes if I'm not familiar with the advertiser because I'm like, oh man, is this going to be like some really cheesy, you know, like used car commercial um, that's going to have like really bad sound effects and really loud music and like this like, you know, we all speak in dulcet tones. Um, is it going to be like some rough like Gilbert Gottfried like screaming into a microphone? <laughs> so, like, um, so yeah, like the hosted ads really are the way to go for everybody because it does create that that brand loyalty and it does give the host kind of more control over um, the sound of their overall production. Now, do you think that when you talk to sponsors that like, let's say they send you an advertisement that they've already uh, maximized and they've already created in a recording environment, but you say, Hey, look, I want to do a host red one. Are they usually a little bit more open to uh, giving you a, a script and letting you do your own thing with it? Or are they more like, look, you have to use ours? Like, is it a little bit more brand message? What's really funny is I've only done it twice and both companies were like, oh, I never even thought of that, which is <laughs> wild to me because I feel like that is what we associate podcast advertising as, is host red. And I was like, oh yeah, like I will do it and my listeners know my voice and they know me and uh, I think it'll be a lot more effective for you and better production for me and you know, we work with each other. It's like, send me the notes you want to hit and I'll hit them. And if you would like, I can send you the script that I've written and you can approve it or edit it. Um, and it becomes a lot more collaborative. And I think that um, once you kind of open that door for them, they realize the benefit uh, to doing host red ads. Now, I got a question for you regarding uh, ascertaining sponsors. Now, do you have any tips for gaining sponsors? I know that you said you're using 
uh, pod ads and using also another service. But do you ever send out any sorts of requests for sponsorships, like via email with press kits? Do you have a, a mode that you go down to acquire them? Yeah, so again, uh, like I said, it's a hustle game. I do everything. Um, so I, on my website, have ad sheets. So if people want to seek me out, they have all the information they need right there on the website and can contact me. Um, I use pod ads. I use AdvertiseCast as the other company. I also, what's really important to me, especially because, um, because of the intimacy and because I really do respect and am humbled by the listeners, is making sure I'm selling products that actually matter to me that I think will matter to my listeners. So um, I will seek out companies if I think that it's a good fit and it's a company I believe in. Uh, like I'm currently, uh, this is kind of hilarious. We have um, a bidet that we got from a startup uh, that we love. And I was like, oh, I need to reach out to them because I like am talking about this bidet like out at happy hour with friends. I might as well be like talking about it on the show. Uh, so you know, it's, it's everything. It's, you know, like I said, you need to get your money where you can. And unfortunately, uh, one avenue is not going to pay your bills. So I am out there reaching out to companies that I believe in. I'm doing ad placement. I'm doing pod ads. I'm letting people come to me. And it's really, uh, I have gotten ads placed through each and every one of those avenues. It's so interesting, too, talking about, like, like you said, it's a bidet. It's something that most people wouldn't consider as a, let's say, a means of monetization through a podcast. But anything, if it's something that fits your MO or something you're you know, really interested in or this specific one, there's so many ways to maximize that content. Yeah. Well, and startups are so forward thinking and they really... Um they're the best companies to go after because they want to get into this market because they know this industry is growing rapidly. They know that they can get a lot of bang for their buck. They know there's more brand loyalty in podcasting than any other medium. So startups are the way to go. I'm working with another one right now, uh, which is like a locally sourced coffee company that just like ships you coffee every week uh, that I love. And I reach out to them because I genuinely love their product. So um, yeah, yeah. Are you a coffee fiend also? I am drinking my third cup of the day currently. <laughs> there we go. Y'all are the worst. Tea's where it's at. Tea's so empty. It's empty. <laughs> I feel like here in New York and New Jersey, like in, like in my area here, coffee is like the go-to for basically everything in the morning. Like there's the whole like, don't talk to me till I have my coffee. I feel like that originated here in the Northeast. Yeah, I mean, and well, so what's funny is I'm from, I used to live in Seattle, which is, you know, quote unquote, coffee capital of the world. Um, but here in New York, in Brooklyn, like I can swing a dead cat and hit like five coffee shops uh, just in my front yard. So uh, it, they're everywhere and they are always full. I went to go work in one the other day because my boyfriend was driving me crazy. And I couldn't get a table at any of these like 10 coffee shops within three blocks of my apartment because that it is, it's like a lifeblood here. Man, that's why y'all are like that, because I'm in Nebraska and I'm drinking tea, so. <laughs> that's probably why we're so aggressive and uptight. <laughs> I can see that. And the driving is crazy. <laughs> oh, what, is, what is your, well, let me ask you this then, a little bit off topic podcast. Uh, top three coffee companies, who are, who are your top three? Uh, so Depot 6, which is a company out of the Berkshires, um, where I actually just returned. I went up there for a little writing retreat uh, to work on the podcast, which was a heaven. But they, there's a company there called Depot 6, which is phenomenal. Um, and then, oh gosh, 
I can't think the one that it's actually my favorite coffee that I got through this company trade. And I can't think of the name of it now. It's something similar to Depot. Uh, they all have like weird names now. Um, so that one I'll have to like email you later. Uh, and then when I was in the Berkshires, I also found this um, maple infused coffee, um, which is phenomenal. It's super sweet though. So it's kind of like once a week you have it as a treat, but those are my three favorites. That's awesome. And are you ever like a Lavazza guy too or no? A uh, pardon? Are you ever uh, finding yourself drinking any sorts of Lavazza or is that a little bit too like shop righty? I don't even know what that is. Uh, I got to get some of that to you. You'll love that. That's really Please. good. You say, I don't even know what that is. John, what are you drinking? <laughs> it's a good it's a good coffee and they've got a bunch of different styles but they're great um before we conclude the interview here i'd love to give you the floor to give people uh, a little bit more insight as to where they can find you obviously you've got a huge foot traffic and we can't appreciate enough that you've made the time to chat with us today but we'd love to give you the floor to let people know where they can find you and uh the floor is yours yeah so uh i'm currently updating the website the old one is still easy to navigate. It's just not as updated, but um, our-americana.com. You can reach all four podcasts from there. Um, and then all four podcasts uh, have their own identities across all social media. So I have Facebook groups for all four of them. I have Twitters for all four of them. I have Instagrams for Karen and Ellen, Our Americana, and True Crime Bullshit. Uh, I'm I'm basically omnipresent. Uh, just Google Josh Hallmark and you'll find whatever you need. But yeah, our hyphen Americana is is your one stop shop. Awesome, Josh. Again, thank you so much for making the time. And again, we look forward to seeing all of the fruits of the labor that you've been putting out. So thank you again. Yeah, thank you. This was wonderful. Thanks for joining us for podcasting smarter. You can check our show notes at podcast.podbean.com for links and details. Please like our podcast, leave your comments, and help us spread the word to other podcasters so we can bring you more great episodes with podcasting tips and inspiration from fellow podcasters. If you want to connect with other podcasters or get interviewed on this podcast, please join our Podcasting Smarter Facebook group. We look forward to welcoming you to the community. Happy podcasting!